to Inside the Writer's Room, a podcast of the Choices Program at Brown University, where we take a look at some of the debate and discussions behind teaching social studies in classrooms today. My name is Tanya Waldberger, and on today's episode, we will be talking about controversial issues in the classroom. I'm here with Mackenzie Abernethy of the Choices Writing Team. Hello, listeners. And we're delighted to welcome Jonathan Gold and Graham Holland, who teach 7th and 8th grade history at Moses Brown School in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, We're really excited to be here with you today. Mackenzie, you recently wrote a blog post for Ed Week entitled, Uncomfortable Conversations, Tools to Teach Current Events and Controversial Issues. Why did you choose to address this? Well, in my own teaching experience, I realized that some of the most pressing issues can also be the most intimidating for teachers to discuss with their students. For example, global poverty, racial and gender inequalities, issues of war and conflict. And you know, students want to learn about current issues. They understand that their futures are part of this debate. So I wanted to provide some concrete tools and approaches that teachers can adapt to meet the needs of their students. And even though there is some uncertainty about the best way to guide students in learning about this, we appreciate that teachers are considering these things. And today we're happy to have two great teachers here with us. John Graham, as Mackenzie mentioned, there's probably some trepidation on the teacher's part when it comes to bringing up controversies. But at the same time, there's something really alluring and interesting about these issues. Do you find that students sit up straighter when you bring these up in your classrooms? Yeah, I think, first of all, history is full of controversial topics. They're actually pretty hard to avoid. Um, But we do find that students really appreciate the opportunity to tackle complex problems and grapple with challenging issues. It does feel more exciting for them. It ends up motivating them in ways that I think more cut-and-dry curriculum might not. Moreover, we find that the kinds of skills students can develop from studying these sorts of topics are really essential history skills. They learn that they have to compare different accounts They practice detecting bias, and they really have to learn to respect and understand different viewpoints. They also come to gain an appreciation for the discipline of history, because in history, issues are rarely as settled as textbooks or the kinds of oversimplified accounts students are used to might indicate. So our goal is really for students to learn to be comfortable in gray areas of the past and present. And I think if uh, we're looking ahead to learn how to act and think um, and be reflective in the gray areas of the future. I'm curious, before you begin investigating these issues with your students, how do you teach the value of respecting different opinions? One of the first homework assignments we give in our eighth grade class is to watch a TED Talk called The Danger of a Single Story by Chimamanda Adichie. And that talk is all about um, the danger that can arise when one is limited to a single narrative or a single story and how stereotypes can form in that absence. Um, and for our students, that really sets them up to begin thinking of those different narratives, different perspectives, different stories, and to hopefully be seeking them out as they encounter each topic and each event that we study. Um, in seventh grade, one of the themes that we touch on throughout the year is this notion that some people's voices are left out of history, whether it be the textbook or um, the way the story of an event is told, 
And so we're always trying to unpack that and inquire as to whose stories are being left out and whose are included. Um, so I think in that sense, we're emphasizing that notion of looking for multiple perspectives throughout the year. Can you tell us about how you incorporate multiple perspectives in your teachings and maybe some of the topics that you're currently addressing in your classrooms? Sure. One of the topics that we are looking at right now in our eighth grade global thinking class is the Rwandan genocide. This is really a case study after looking at the topic of European colonialism in Africa. And it's such a difficult topic to um, really understand why does genocide happen in the first place. There are so many perspectives to look at as you consider the lead up to the genocide, why it happened in the first place, and really who is responsible but our goal is for them, in a, in a discussion format, which is student-led, um, for them to really interrogate all sides of the question, should the international community have intervened in the Rwandan genocide? Which, on the surface, might sound like an easy question to answer, but it's actually quite difficult. And there are a lot of factors at play, a lot of voices and perspectives um, at play in trying to answer that question. And we try to explore every way that one can think about it so that they feel like they fully grasp it um, in and out. You mentioned a student-led discussion. We actually sat in on your class the day before you had that discussion. Let's take a listen. What's going to make this discussion work well? Yeah, Kevin. Well, history tends to be written by the victors, so we should be focusing on being more open to everything. Okay, so that's one of our questions, right? Which is whose perspective matters more in this discussion? Right? As members of the United citizens of the United States, we're going to want to think about that international community. What if we thought about it more from a Rwandan perspective? What if we thought it more about from a Hutu perspective or a Tutsi perspective? If you get a sense that everybody is kind of saying the same thing, what can you do? Yeah. Remind us, what does that mean to play devil's advocate? Um, to choose the side that no one's going for, even though it's not the side that you believe in, and sort of um, explain why the thing that you don't believe in should happen. Yeah, you can name that if you want to. So if you're like, I really think they should not have intervened, but it feels like everybody's saying that, you can say, it sounds like a lot of people are saying we should not have intervened, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second here, and then you can argue. Um, it's okay to name the fact that that's happening. It's so interesting that your guiding question for students in studying the Rwandan genocide is an open-ended one. This might seem to students like teachers are admitting the fact that the adults don't have everything all figured out. Yeah, I think that's right, Mackenzie. Um, in many ways, when we study these unresolved and highly contest contested issues, it liberates students and really us um, from having to find or provide definitive answers and instead lets us really value the process of building knowledge, comparing different accounts, forming arguments, and listening to diverse viewpoints. It can be a little destabilizing for kids when your teacher stands up and says, I don't know the answer either. Um, but that's really kind of what the real world is like. Um, and it helps students get at how complex and, and multifaceted these situations really are. It's also incredibly activating for students. So when they're presented with an unsettled question or a controversial question, they want to learn more. And our job then becomes less about providing an answer and more about helping them develop the skills they need to continue learning more and continue building their knowledge of even the world's most complex questions. Another example of guiding students with an open-ended question is your approach to teaching about Columbus. Graham, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Sure. So one of our first units in seventh grade history, which is American history, 
is on Columbus. And for our students, this is really the first entry point into this idea that maybe it's worth taking another look at some things which maybe have been mythologized or that they have developed an understanding of in elementary school. Columbus is a great example. We use it as an opportunity to emphasize the importance of primary sources. Columbus's journal, for example, is a great window into his thinking at the time, but it allows us also to consider questions like how does our own sort of sense of morals today and cultural values today differ from those of the time period? And so we can dig into those a little bit further. Um, obviously, Columbus Day itself is a controversial topic, and that's worth considering as part of it. It's not what we emphasize, but um, allowing students to start to form their own opinion about things like that is another piece of what's happening in those. Uh, and the guiding question in that unit for us is, is Columbus, or should we consider Columbus, a hero, a villain, neither or both? And that's the question that they write as part of their essay. And again, we're not leading them to a particular answer, but we're hoping that their um, close look at the evidence available, especially primary sources, will lead them to something that they can defend. I'd also add to that that for our seventh graders, the idea that there are multiple versions of a story is revelatory. And so cognitively, as their brains are developing and they're learning more about how history gets made and the difference between history and what actually happened in the past, sometimes just asking these questions and activating them to think about primary sources, think about competing accounts in and of itself is a real deep learning experience for them. They're used to sort of curriculum being handed to them. Now we're asking them to make sense of documents themselves and build their own understanding of the past. As far as current events, both of you study the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with your middle school students. Now, I'm sure some teachers listening are saying to themselves, how do you approach this topic? So on the first day of the unit, um, I get to tell the students that we have chosen for them to study perhaps the world's most complicated history. And then they do, as you said earlier, sit up straighter in their chairs as they're now excited to take on a challenge that a lot of people don't really understand for themselves. Um, the topic itself is part of a much larger unit on the Middle East um, for which we use the excellent choices text. And so they have a sense of how this conflict has come to develop over time as part of a larger pattern of change and growth in the region. Um, the essential question we ask of students in this unit is, why is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict so difficult to resolve? And so asking the question in this way allows students to investigate those competing narratives without locking into one. Their job is really to try to wrap their heads around some of the most complex contested history we have and explain why it is that way. We also try in studying this issue to humanize the conflict. So we watch the excellent documentary film called Promises, which tells the story of teenage children on various sides of the conflict. If the end result of this unit is that students end up being able to articulate something like, this story is so difficult to understand because everyone has a different narrative or a different set of facts or a different set of values, then I think we're doing our job of prompting kids to embrace and seek to understand what really is the immense complexity of human beings. And then through the skills they develop, the research, the discussion, the reflection, they are sharpening the tools that they need to become comfortable with gray area um, and develop their own opinions about things. And I think our, one of our goals for our students is for them to become informed opinion havers. I think that's right. And I also want to emphasize the fact that sometimes by purposely selecting a controversial topic, you create the most potential for growth and learning and cognitive development in your students whereas that might be counterintuitive as a teacher, um, we find something like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict actually affords the most potential for that kind of growth. Um, that being said, it makes perfect sense that teachers would feel nervous about stepping into to territory like that. Um, and so 
we think that the, the approach to take in that situation is to be open and transparent with parents, uh, with administrators, say this is something that we want to do and that here's how we're planning on doing it. That intentionality and that demonstration of planning and forethought, I think, is important. We feel um, very insulated and secure in this unit using choices materials as our go-to materials, mainly because if we were curating our sources on this entirely ourselves, there would it would open us up to questions about our own bias and how did we choose to leave some things out or include them. Um, but choices we know in writing this curricula has been you know, very thoroughly vetted and scrutinized in many situations. So we appreciate that that legwork has done, been done for us. I think it's also important to acknowledge and take a look at your own school culture and the mission and values of your school. Sometimes you can rely on that and use it as a, a foundation to lean into things which are more difficult. And sometimes you might not feel supported in that way. And so perhaps it's not the right time to lean into a controversial topic. Um, John and I are also lucky to work collaboratively, which not every teacher has the opportunity to do. So we can use each other as a sounding board as we're planning these units and thinking about what might be appropriate and what might not be. Um, so that's been something which has been very successful for us. I'd be interested to hear your opinion on if there are times or certain topics where teachers can take a moral stance, such as climate change, women's rights, or racial inequalities. Sure. So the number one question we get from students during all this is they ask us, well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And they become used to, to the two of us really saying, well, we're actually more interested in what you think. And we're trying to um, get you to decide for yourself based on the evidence we've provided for you, your position on, on these controversial topics, many of which are unsettled. At the same time, some of the topics that you mentioned, Mackenzie, to us really do feel settled or do feel closed. Um, there's consensus about them within the broader historical community or scientific community. So the classic history teacher example is slavery. We waste no time in our seventh grade American history class with any arguments about slavery other than it is a blot on our nation's honor and we want to try to understand its impact. Similarly, when we study climate change, we established very early on with our students that we were going into the unit with the consensus view that climate change was real and needed to be understood as a real phenomenon. Um, and so those are moments when we were pretty clear about where our, our bias stood, really. At other times, with questions that are thornier or questions that might be considered unsettled or about which there isn't a similar consensus, we're a little shyer about revealing our biases. We want students to really learn to think for themselves and not be parroting what we're saying or feeling like there's an acceptable set of, of ideas or ways of thinking that are appropriate or, or welcome in the classroom. And so through our conversations with one another, through our reflection on our teaching, and through our conversations with students, um, we are sort of always careful when we are teaching from a moral, with a moral perspective, with our own um, thinking present, and when we're sort of allowing students to really practice those skills of thinking for themselves. And to us, it's really a hybrid approach. Um, so students, I think, often want to know where we are. We get that question constantly, especially as we get into the thornier material. But they also really feel respected and honored when we say back to them, we really want you to, to scrutinize the evidence, to use the skills we've been working on in our classrooms to develop your own thinking on this, and then we can reflect on it together and consider all of the various viewpoints that might be appropriate for this question. Well, I want to thank you for giving us some insight into your classrooms and providing teachers with some concrete tools that they can use moving forward. Thanks so much for having us. It was a pleasure to be here today. I've been talking with John Gold and Graham Holland of Moses Brown School in Providence, Rhode Island, along with Choices writer Mackenzie Abernethy. 
Listeners might also like to know that John and Graham will present more on this topic at the upcoming conference for the Association of Independent Schools of New England. That's on December 5th in Norwood, Massachusetts. You can also read more from John on Teaching Tolerance's website, tolerance.org, where he is a contributor. And be sure to check out Mackenzie's blog post on this topic at blogs.edweek.org. The Choices Program is based at Brown University's School of Professional Studies and the Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs. This has been Inside the Writer's Room. Thank you for listening.